If, uh, if you're following along in your Bible, and we're going to be in John 9, continuing our walk through John, uh, that'll give you some time to find it in, in your Bible. Uh, this, is, this is not going to come as a shock. Most of you, if you've been around Carpenter's Way enough, you, you know that there was a time not too long ago, I, I was the student pastor here, um, and youth ministry was something that, that's really what my life goal was. This, this job was never in the plans. Uh, anyway, that's another story for another time. Uh, I really enjoyed student ministry. I like working with teenagers. I started in student ministry. Let me let me set this up. I graduated high school at the age of 18, as people tend to do. Uh, and that was May, as tends to be the case in Texas. And uh, I began student ministry in August of the same year. So three months out of high school, I'm I'm an 18-year-old, like, hey, teenagers, let's learn about Jesus. And uh, a, lot of, a lot of knuckleheaded decisions. That's another story for another time. Something that I learned... Uh, in student ministry is the power of a game. Now, if you've ever been in student ministry, if you've ever been a teenager for that matter, you know that games are awesome. It's good to have fun. And if you're not careful, you might look at churches and youth ministries having games as like, oh, that's just that's just a waste of time. You need to open the Bible. But games are an important factor in people learning what you're about to teach. It's an important way to drop defenses down. It's an important way to get the kids engaged. Uh, we use the, the language here at Carpenter's Way that we believe, especially with our teenagers, but with everyone, that we have to earn the right to be heard. We, we, don't, we don't have any kind of authority with the average person until we've earned the right and shown them that we love them to be heard with this message that saves lives that we have. So, Games are important, right? Um, as you may imagine that uh, as a young youth pastor, when I found out that games were important, I started to really study. Like I need, it's hard for me to develop games. I would much rather teach, but it's important. So I need to pay attention. And so I have this list of games, youth ministry games. And I just want to bring one to your attention just so that you can appreciate how difficult it is to have a good game that makes sense to, to teenagers. This is a game that I and another youth pastor friend were having a conversation and it came to light. Uh, to my knowledge, nobody's ever done this game for reasons that will become obvious to you in just a moment. Uh, and so just imagine uh, you get uh, two volunteers from the crowd. Uh, if I had all my supplies, I would invite you. Uh, I would get two of you to come up here. And we say, uh, I would hold up in one hand uh, this hermit crab. And I'll say, we're going to play a game, boys and girls, ladies and gentlemen. And this hermit crab right here is your prize if you win this game. And all the kids are like, yeah, let's win. Um, and so the game is, is that we're going to sprinkle hermit crabs across this floor. Just a big bag. We have bags of them right here. Just bags of hermit crabs. And we're going to sprinkle these hermit crabs across this floor. And you have to get from one side to the other. The person who steps on the least number of hermit crabs wins. Do you understand the rules of this game? And all the kids would be like, yeah, again, this game was never played in my ministry. I don't know that it's ever been played, okay? But this is, this is where the mind is. And then you say, ah, but here's the catch. Ha ha, you know, plot twist. You have to do it blindfolded. And they're like, oh no, I don't want to step on a crab. Well, it just is what it is. And so the entire time I've been holding up this hermit crab, but the bags, you know, this is where you know something that they wouldn't know because the blindfolds go on them and we spread the bags of what they think is hermit crabs, but it's not hermit crabs. It's bags of bugle chips, you know those chips that they're like little cones and they taste like corn and you're just like, yes. And you put them on your fingers as kids. You're like, I'm a witch, you know, uh, 
probably shouldn't yell, I'm a witch at church. That's another, that's another problem. It's a, you just have all the chips on your fingers. So in my youth ministry brain, again, I was really young at one point uh, doing that. Uh, it just seemed like a really fun time to convince the blindfolded children that the floor is covered in hermit crabs when in reality it's covered in bugle chips. Blindfold them, and then they try to tiptoe through there. And then what's going to happen one time? crunch. And then, you know, the tears will start falling. We'll have counselors lined up in the back. I have no idea how much trauma this would cause, but the rest of the crowd, the audience would go nuts, right? They would be like, yes. Oh, that is so cool. They're going to be clapping. They're going to love it. Matt, if you're listening to this, we need to discuss before you put this game in your youth ministry. We've been in this series with John and we've been asking the question, what is it that Jesus can see that I can't see? In that game, the crowd can see clearly where every foot should go. And yet instead of telling the children where not to step, what would the crowd do in that moment? They want, they'll like go into that big pile of, you know, hermit crabs. They would, they would guide them because they would clap and they would cheer. The more that the kids would step on the fake hermit crabs, the actual chips, the more the crowd would laugh and cheer and think it was hilarious, right? You would agree with that. I'm not the only one. Okay. Okay. You guys are like really holy right now. Like, no, Jesse, that's, that seems cruel. We were in this series because Jesus can see what we can't see, and he's actually telling us how to guide our steps. And last week, we landed with the Pharisees where, you know, they're saying, well, I can see just fine. I don't need any help. And Jesus is like, well, then why aren't you teaching them? Why aren't you telling them where to put their feet? There seems to be this... this um, I don't know, duality of I know what's right, but I'm, I'm not teaching because they should figure it out themselves. Who is rescuing the people who are blindfolded? Who has been the one saying, I am here to take the blindfold off of you so that you can see clearly? And there's only been one person on these pages for the last several weeks doing that, and that is Jesus. Listen to me, that game is cruel, but even crueler still is the life where you are constantly stepping on hazards that you can't see. You're moving through this life and all you're trying to do, you, you, you would come to me maybe in tears and you would say, Jesse, I just want to put one foot in front of the next. I just want to live a life that is successful. And I hear the crunch and I feel the pain and something isn't quite lining up and the crowds aren't doing anything to help Jesus. What, or Jesse, what is my help? And Jesse would say, I would say, Jesus is your help. Jesus is the way. That was not a Freudian slip. I don't hold myself in the place of Jesus. I just got our names mixed up there. We're going to be in John chapter nine. And uh, if you've been with us for the last several weeks, this is one of those big payoff moments of scripture because the way that John is formed is that these ideas, even from the beginning of John, start to become intertwined and tangled together. And then there are these big like exclamation points. This is one of them. Um, if you've not been here, this is a great way. Like if you're like, hey, I, I've not been a part of this series or I've missed a few weeks. This is a great way to get a ton of the themes and the strings that John is trying to teach us about his best friend, Jesus, together in your mind. And at the end of the day, you're going to hear the story of a man who was born blind. He was born with a blindfold on, if you will. And he's just been trying to make life work. And everybody around him is just like, this is the way things have to be. And only one man on these pages shows up to help him. His name is Jesus. I want you to know about him because I think that he wants to transform us in the same way. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in John chapter 9, starting in verse 1. Um, and little ambitious moment here, we're going to do the whole chapter in one sitting. Which means I may talk fast at 
times. Uh, just real quick, let's rip a Band-Aid off uh, right away. Uh, there is a blind man we're about to meet, and this blind man meets Jesus. What happens by the end of the story? Yes, he, 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 like he can see, okay? Um, usually, whenever we get to a moment like this, because you just know it, we, we, we're Christians or we've been far enough removed from the church that if you hear a blind man meeting Jesus in the Bible, he's going to be healed. It's like, it's not even a surprise at this moment. And so usually my job as a teacher is like, hang on, pretend to be surprised. Let's listen to it. John, he's, he's so comfortable with what Jesus is about to do. He starts the story off with like, and he healed him. It was amazing. But then what happens after when this man was transformed by Jesus, you may find some parallels with your life. If you're a follower of Jesus, you may, found, you may have found that it has created some freedoms that you didn't otherwise have, but you may have also found that it's created some difficulties. Being a follower of Jesus has some, some responsibility and some weight that comes with it, and this man experiences both sides of that. Uh, so let's see what happens. Verse 1. As, uh, as he passed by, so this is Jesus and his friends. Uh, real quick, uh, geography matters. Where we left off last week, Jesus was in Jerusalem. Uh, John doesn't give us any kind of word uh, around time or how much they've traveled. So uh, it could be that they're still in Jerusalem. I think what we're going to find is that a little bit of time has passed and he's now back in the north in Capernaum or uh, Galilee at least. Um, but let's, let's continue. As, as he passed by, Jesus and the disciples saw a a man blind from birth. What do we know about this guy? He's blind, and he's this very specific kind of blindness. He's blind from birth. He's not blind from getting poked in the eye. Uh, he's not blind from a freak football accident or something like that. Uh, he's uh, born blind. What we don't know about this guy is his name. The entire chapter just skips giving this guy a name. Uh, he is only known by his ailment. He is only known to the community by his suffering, by his blindness. Um, that's how everybody refers to him, the man that was born blind. I prefer to think of him as Bob. Uh, it could be anything, um, but he doesn't get a name. And let's continue. Verse 2, And his disciples asked him, asked Jesus, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? The disciples want to know a cause and effect uh, answer. They, they have a question. Like, who, whose fault is it that this guy is blind? Imagine the scenario right now. You're just, you're Bob. You're blind. You're sitting on the road. That, let's make that stool, Bob. You're sitting on the road, and you hear people walking by all the time. And now here comes Jesus and his disciples. And the disciples see this guy, and they don't think, there's a man that we can help. They don't think anything about his humanity. He is just a man born blind. He has an opportunity to ask the rabbi teacher a question. They see not a human. They see a problem. I wonder, I wonder who here can, can, can think of somebody, maybe themselves, a moment where you, you weren't a human in that moment. You were just the problem. You were the object lesson. Even the disciples who have been following Jesus for a few years at this moment, um, they, they don't even pause and be like, Jesus, can we do something to help Bob? They just, he's blind. Whose fault is that? Who, who caused that? We have people in our community right now that I don't know the name of. I just know them by their umbrella. It's the umbrella man. He's just carrying the umbrella. I, I know some of you in this room know the umbrella man's name. I don't know him, but I know if you say, oh, the, we know him by his ailment. We know him by his, his station in life. Oh, that's the guy who's always, he's always hanging out in the Walmart parking lot. Oh, the guy always hanging, what's his name? Where is his humanity? What's his story? 
What was his childhood like? What was Bob's childhood like? When, when we see people only as problems, we rob them of the dignity that they carry as a rightful image bearer of God. We have to check ourselves. The disciples needed someone to check them in this moment. But they ask a question. Whose fault is it that this guy's life stinks? Is it his parents' fault? He was born blind, so did he do something as a baby? Jesus, what is it? It's a cause and effect question. Here's what Jesus says in verse 3. Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. They ask a cause and effect question, and Jesus kind of goes a different direction with them. Um, there are two ways that you can uh, uh, translate those two verses. Uh, one of them sounds like this. Uh, sounds like this man's blindness is so that God can show his glory at this moment. And today's the day. It is now time to do that. That is a valid way of understanding it. I've, I opened up a few commentaries because there's some, there's some debate about this. And if you can hike up your nerd glasses with me, let's, let's look at it together. There, there is something to be said about someone suffering suddenly having a purpose found in what God is willing to do. What if... What if your current season of pain will find its ultimate purpose in God being glorified in how he restores you, in how he restores your marriage, and how he turns the tables in the impossible way? That is a really neat testimony. That's worth celebrating. That's one way of translating this. There's another way that the period at the end of verse 3 and beginning of verse 4 should be a comma. In, in Greek, there's a Greek word called henna, H-I-N-A. If you're interested in this at all, just Google henna clauses, and you can read paragraph and blogs about how to translate henna clauses. Uh, but it changes the understanding, not that the purpose of this man's blindness is this, but uh, now it's an opportunity. What it is, is these, what, the way that this would look is the disciples see a man, see Bob, born blind. Whose fault is it that he's blind? And Jesus is like, look, it's an opportunity for God to flex right now. Whether it's the purpose of what God is going to do in this man's life or it is the opportunity, what Jesus does next is that he heals this man. You're suffering. When we see the suffering of another human being, it is always an opportunity for us to step into that story. We have to see the humanity first. We can't avoid that suffering is in this world. You have suffered. Uh, suffering is a reality. It's completely unavoidable. Um, but all suffering is an opportunity for us to respond with God's grace and God's truth. To show up to that man who's always sitting on that corner. To go to that person at work who's always having the bad day. You know who I'm talking about. Oh, like she, does, do you ever have a good day? You're the girl who has bad days. Well, what if you knew her story? What if you leaned in a little bit and it's an opportunity for you to show her grace? Regardless, though, in the hands of the holy God, all pain can have an ultimate purpose. A new purpose besides just suffering. Here's what Jesus says. He says, verse five, as long as I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. He's repeated this so many times at this point. Having said these things, he, that's Jesus, spit on the ground and he made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes. I always love it when there's a churchy word that it's not necessary. <laughs> like anointed just sounds so much cleaner than what's actually happening right now. Can we agree? He anointed the man's eyes with spitty dirt. 
And he said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam. And then John adds this in parentheses, which means sent. Like there's something about this that John really wants his people to know. He's sending this man to go do a thing. Go wash your, uh, in the pool of Siloam. So he went and washed and came back seeing. What a wild moment this is. Our boy that I'm calling Bob, uh, it is a day like any other day. A day that he's had hundreds of times up to this point. He sits He begs, and all he can see is darkness, and he can hear the sounds and the murmurings of people as they talk about him. So they talk about his problems, and they don't talk to him as if he's a human. And then Jesus shows up without this man earning it, without this man asking for it, without without anything. There's nothing that Bob did to like require Jesus, like, now you've earned my spitty mud to fix your eyes. Nothing. Jesus just chose. This is the opportunity for God to show his glory, smears mud, anoints, sorry, anoints his face with mud. Go wash your eyes and you will be healed. And he goes, he washes his eyes and he came back what? Seeing. He can see. Now for us, this is like a big exclamation point. This would be a great spot to end a sermon. But many of you have been transformed by the work of Jesus. You call yourself a Christian. You're a follower of Jesus. This man did nothing to earn his healing and is now healed, now transformed. His life goes on a roller coaster from this moment. When I was in college, I had a a, a girl that, that I knew... She asked this question. She said, Jesse, she said, uh, is it, is it easy? Is life easier when you're a follower of Jesus or is it harder? And I was young. I was like, oh, it's obviously easier. And she's like, yeah, that's, that's not been my experience. And then she just kind of sat down. She, she thought about it some more. She was struggling with some things and people knew her past, knew what she was before she came to Jesus. And like she was having a hard time shaking that in the stories for her and for many people, maybe for you, following Jesus has had some unknown consequences uh, that our boy Bob, the blind man, is going to experience. This man earned nothing. We believe that you are saved by grace alone, not by works, lest any man should boast. That's what scripture says. You, your salvation, your transformation has nothing to do with what you did or what you asked Jesus for. It's by the work and the grace and the mercy of this holy God. Okay, so who knows how long this guy has been sitting on the side of the road. Everybody knows him. He's the man born blind. That's what we know about him. Uh, the neighbors, verse 8, the neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? You have to understand this is before Facebook. You couldn't like pull up, like you didn't have any video of it happening. You couldn't see this guy's picture. You just had to go off of memory and he looks different. You know, like he's walking around. He's like not tripping over stuff. Nobody's helping him anymore. He looks different. Is that him? Is that the guy who used to sit and beg? Verse 9, some said, it is. Others said, no, but he kind of looks like him. He kept saying, this is the man, I am the man. This is like a circular argument. Hey, is that that guy? And they're talking about him. And he's just screaming. I was like, yeah, that's me. That's, I'm that guy. I don't know. He kind of looks like him. He kind of sounds like him. I'm he. I'm the one. No, no, no. It's not him. I don't, I don't think it's him. They continue to lose this man's humanity. Just turn and ask the guy. He's right there. Ask him. Okay, prove it. What, what have you seen us do? I've been blind. I don't know. I don't know what you look like. I didn't, you're, you look different than your voice for the last 20 years. He can't prove anything, and yet they're not stopping to 
talk to him. Verse 10, so they said to him, then how were your eyes open? How'd this happen? Verse 11, he answered, the man called Jesus. I know his name. The man called Jesus. He made mud and he anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Sloam and wash. So I went and washed and I received my sight. And then they said to him, where is he? Where's this guy? Well, that sounds amazing. Where is this guy? Where is he? He said, I don't know. I don't know. I was blind. <laughs> now remember, the guy, the guy leaves blind, washes his eyes, and he comes back seeing Jesus is gone. He's like moved on down the road or something like that. Uh, can you describe him to me? I was, I was blind. I can't, I can't see him. Uh, how did this happen? Don't know. He rubbed some mud on my eyes. He said, go do this. I did it. Here I am seeing. Right. But you know, like, can you point him out in the crowd? I can't. I don't, I don't know. You know, a lot of us, uh, we, we, we have this habit of not talking about Jesus out of fear of not knowing the answer to some question that we may get, right? You've been transformed by Jesus. You're a follower of Jesus. He's done work in your life. You have a story to tell. And then, and then when it comes time to tell, it's like, ah, you know, I'm just going to sit over here quiet because what if they ask a question? I don't know. This brother right here is completely blind. Now he can see. He's like, what do you look like? Don't know. All I know is this one thing, smeared mud on my eyes, told me to do this, I did it, and I can see it. He does not, notice what he doesn't do. He does not continue to pretend to be blind. You know, some of us, we we continue to be the person or pretend to be the person we were before Jesus, right? He's like, oh, you know, I can say some things. I can do some things that kind of look like that. He, he just stands there like, I can see. I have eyes. Look at my new eyes. This is great. Trees, they're different than I expected. Uh he doesn't lord his newfound sight over these people. He doesn't say, well, you know, my eyes are newer than yours. I'm better than you. That would be ridiculous at his station of life. Um, but I think we can all think of, maybe hypothetically think of a Christian who, like, they, they take this new life that the Lord has given them and kind of lords it over other people um, instead of remembering that they too were blind. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. We, we forget so quickly that we too were the blind beggar on the side of the road with no hope of ever seeing. And yet we can see, not because we earned it, but because Jesus has shown mercy and grace on us. He does not lord this over them. Notice also, they ask questions he doesn't know the answer to. He doesn't make stuff up. He could have been like, well, you, you know, the ocular nerve is really, it's a complex matter, you know. He could have like really tried to like stupefy them with his fancy talk on things that he doesn't know. He just keeps saying, I don't know that. I just know who Jesus is. What does he look like? No, no, never met the guy. Just like he rubs some stuff in my eyes. I'm, I'm good. This, he just keeps repeating it. The neighbors, eh, they don't really like his answer. So they take him to the Pharisees, verse 13. It says, uh, they brought to the Pharisees the man who had been formerly blind. Now, it was a Sabbath day. Now, anybody who's been reading John is like, oh, no, Jesus. He has to do his work on the Sabbath day, apparently. Now, it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. This is a repeat offense, according to the Pharisees. Jesus does this. It just seems like every Sabbath he's healing somebody. Uh, so the Pharisees again asked him how he had received a sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes and I washed and I see. Notice he's getting simpler. He's had to repeat his story so many times. It's just simpler steps. It's still not satisfying people. The more you talk about what Jesus has done in your life, the simpler the steps can be. You don't have to give as much backstory, especially with people who are they're kind of questioning this. Uh, he, he continues with his simple responses. And so some of the Pharisees, they start to talk amongst themselves. Some of the Pharisees said, this man, that, that's Jesus that they're talking about, Jesus 
He's not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others of them said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was division among them. These are religious people that are trying to figure out who Jesus is, and they've already put him in the box. People who follow God don't do anything like that on a Sabbath. Therefore, it can't be from God. Therefore, something else is going on. They have a preconceived notion about how God operates, that God lives in this box that we created. Can I tell you something? Uh, C.S. Lewis was right. God is wild. He's safe. He's good. Actually, C.S. Lewis is not safe. He's not safe, but he is good. Anyway, uh, he, he, he's not really one to be contained in boxes like this. Nobody in this crowd is questioning the preconceived box that they're trying to put God in. They're trying to force Jesus to fit what they believe God is like. Let me tell you something that you may have found to be true. Religious people have the hardest time following God. The blind guy on the side of the road who has no business in the church, hasn't been in the church for a while, all of a sudden getting his sight, he can follow God easier than religious people who have grown up so accustomed to religious-sounding words and religious-sounding ideas that it's almost like they've been inoculated against it taking in them. It's like it's like they're they have a um, what's that? What's what are those shots called? Kids get. Um, Vaccine, thank you. They've been vaccinated against the gospel because they've been around the church so much. And I just want to say, like, religious people just have a hard time when God decides to show up and do a thing. Who does God think he is healing this guy? He can't do that. It's a Sabbath. Doesn't God know? God made the Sabbath. And arguably, healing someone who is suffering and struggling isn't a break on the Sabbath. I wonder why... Of the 613 laws that these Jewish people are supposed to be following, nobody stopped to ask, hey, are we understanding that one law right? They keep pointing at Jesus and saying he can't be from God because our understanding of this one law of the 613 um, is, is stone ironclad. Like we are 100%. God can't heal people born blind. Here's, here's a little secret, by the way. We're about to find this out. Um, in the history of the Bible... Of all the people who were healed that were blind, none of them were born blind. They have no category for whether or not you can heal a man born blind on the Sabbath because, catch this, it has never happened at this moment. Verse 17. So they again uh, said, to the, said again to the blind man, what do you say about him? They turned to him, they asked him, what do you say about him, that's Jesus, since he has opened your eyes? And I, I'm, it doesn't say that he shrugged, but he goes, He's a prophet. I think, I think that's what he did. I think he looked at him right in the eye like Jim off of the office. He's like, he's a prophet. I don't know. I, don't know. I, I can't make this up. I, 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 I'm not here to defend him. I'm just here to tell you what happened to me. The Jews, that's the Jewish leaders, these Pharisees, did not believe that he had been born blind and had received a sight. They're thinking like this is a plant or something. This is just, this is what like magicians do, I guess. Until they called his parents uh, of the man who had received a sight, and they asked them, they asked the parents, is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, we know that this is our son, that he was born blind. But how he sees, we don't know. Nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. Verse 22, his parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he's of age, ask him, look, don't bring us into this. Mom and dad, like, I don't want any part of that. 
I get put out of the synagogue. Now, we, we live in, in Texas. I assume nobody flew into church today, although maybe online. I don't know. Uh, other, other countries, in fact. Uh, you, you, you have churches. What, what, what if you did something in here? We're like, hey, we got to put you out of Carpenter's Way. You, you said the wrong thing. We're going to put you out. You would probably look at me and be like, yo, I got, I got churches. I got options, man. Do you have any idea how many churches there are in Texas? You can throw a rock. You're more likely to hit a church than you are a house, I think. Like, there are so many churches in our community. You would think that the gospel would just be like a, a blazing fire through Mid County. You would think that more people would understand the truths of the gospel based just on the number of churches. So you might say to me, if you're going to put me out of this church, I can just go to another church. That's not the experience that this man would have had, nor his family. To be put out of the synagogue is the only place a Jew could worship in that city. His choices, if they're put out of the synagogue, if they kick him out, are to move or to no longer worship God in a public setting. Those are your only two choices. You have to leave your home or just stop worshiping God. Both of those are just awful. And they're, they're under this pressure. Like if we say what we think happened with Jesus, they're going to kick us out. Ask, ask my kid. I don't know. Verse 24, so for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, give glory to God, which is what I think this guy's trying to do. Uh, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He uh, answered, and they're talking about Jesus. We know that Jesus is a sinner. He answered, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. It's very simple for this guy. I don't know anything. I don't know what you're trying to trip him up about. I just know that I can see and I couldn't. And I know that the one who did it is Jesus. They said to him, verse 26, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? Like, let's, let's go over this again. They're not curious anymore. They're interrogating him like he's a criminal, um, asking him the same question over and over again, hoping to trip him up. He answered them, I have told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? Which you got to love Bob. Poor guy, like he's just getting his eyes back. And he's like, he's got a little sharp mouth, doesn't he? You know, like, oh, you want to be a follower of Jesus? Maybe you keep asking these questions. And they reviled him. They hated him for saying you are his disciple. But we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. We have had dozens of times that Jesus has told them, I come from the Father. I come from the Father. They should look at the evidence to see if he does come from the Father. He's healing a man. He's, he's, this man born blind can see. In John chapter 3, uh, Jesus met another Pharisee named Nicodemus. We've talked about him last week. Uh, it's, we're in John. We should, if we're reading straight through John, be able to hold this, these two conversations in our mind at the same time. These Pharisees are saying, we don't know where he comes from, but we know he's not from God. John, or excuse me, Nicodemus in John chapter 3 says this in verse 2. It won't be on the screens. Said this, this man came, this Nicodemus came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God for no other one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Nicodemus looked at the evidence of what Jesus was accomplishing and says, you must be from God. These men are saying, you can't be from God. Therefore, we don't know how you're doing this. What do you do with who Jesus really is? When, when we're faced with moments like this, we are forced to draw lines in the sand. We have to choose. He's either from God, and that explains how he's able to transform people, or he's not, and let's dismiss him. But you can't stay in the middle lane. You are forced, every time you hear the gospel, 
to make a choice, move towards Jesus or away from him. I'm going to speed up. Verse 30, the man answered, why, this is an amazing thing. This is so amazing what you guys are saying. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, because that's what the Pharisees teach. And if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. That's what the Pharisees teach. Verse 32, never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. I wonder how many times Bob heard that. Sorry, buddy, you're born blind and God doesn't do that. God, God would have healed your eyes if someone poked you in the eye and you lost your eyes, but you were born that way. God just can't do it. Stinks to be you, Bob. And here he is repeating back to them what he has been taught this entire time. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. And they answered him, you, these are, I mean, anyway, it gets pretty dark. You were born in utter sin. And would you teach us? And they cast him out. The thing that his parents were afraid of happened to our boy, Bob. He was kicked out of his place of worship. They looked him in the eye and said, you were born in utter sin. We don't know what your parents did for you to earn those eyes, but you are worse. You're as low as they go. Get out of here. You can't worship here anymore. Because of what Jesus did to Bob and because Bob would not waver on it at all. He's just like, all I know is that Jesus healed me. Bob lost access to his community, lost access to a synagogue, and, uh, you know, there's some, there's some weight to that. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? Notice, he has not seen Jesus face to face until this moment right now, and it's the moment where the consequences hit this man. He is cast out, and Jesus goes looking for him. When we're all alone, when we, when, we, when we don't have anybody else and we feel like we've lost access to our family, we've lost access to our community, Jesus went and found this guy. Listen to me. If you feel like you are completely disconnected from your community, from your family, and from all the structures you grew up knowing and finding security in, and you're like, Where, who's going to help me? Jesus went and sought this man. Could it be that Jesus is seeking you right now as well? Jesus says to him, do you believe in the Son of Man? Here's your chance. You can confess him as Christ. I love how this guy responds. He answered, I don't know, who is he? <laughs> who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Just point to him, Jesus. I don't know who you are. I don't know who, who that is. Just point to him. I'll, 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 I'll follow him. I will. And Jesus said to him, you have seen him. What a fun phrase that is. Like he's, he's, he's like 12 hours into having eyes. He's like, you have seen him. Uh, and it is he who is speaking to you. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. This man moved from thinking that Jesus is just a prophet to worshiping him. You don't worship prophets. You don't worship angels. You don't worship things that God created. You know who you worship? You know the answer to this, right? You worship God. Bob is a Jewish man who knows you only worship God. And he hears Jesus's words and he sees Jesus's eyes and he knows that Jesus transformed him. And his response is, I follow you and I worship you. Jesus said, for judgment, I came into this world that those who do not see may see and those who see may become blind. The Pharisees who had the eyes and knew the word of God are moving farther away from sight. They're losing sight of really what God is wanting to do. And this man who had never seen a thing in the world is seeing better than them what God is willing to do. Listen to me. If you're a religious person, um, there's no shame in that. Religion's great. Do not fall into the Pharisee trap of putting God in a box. 
you put God in a box and he chooses to do something outside the box he created for him, you might start walking away from God as a result to it. Be curious, ask questions, look and see what God is doing around you. This is why when we gather for prayer circles, it is so important that you show up to church. Not because like we need attendance, but because you sharing your story helps other people see God who is outside the box that they created. We need each other's eyes to see what God has done. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, are we also blind? Look at them. They're looking at their eyes. They're pointing. We can see just fine. How dare you, Jesus? Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say that we see, your guilt remains. If you can see so clearly, then you have to answer for this. But if you are blind, I'm here to help people who can see. I'm going to land this plane quickly with some things I would invite you to meditate on. The first is this, because Jesus can see what we can't see. Remember, that's the question we're trying to answer this entire season of John. Because Jesus can see what we can't see, people born in darkness can find their way while those that refuse Jesus lose their way all the more. You can be super smart. You can know more Greek than, than me or anybody else or Hebrew. You can, you can parse some verbs and you can know your theology. But if you do not know Jesus and are not following Jesus, you are growing in blindness, not in sight. This faith that we have can be uh, intellectually looked at, but it is not an intellectual faith. It is a belief that Jesus himself is the one who is transforming his people. Bob did nothing. It wasn't a math problem that he got right that got him to earn his sight. And your salvation, whatever you are, if you are a Christian, is not because you earned it. And as soon as you remember that, the quicker you will be to show up in people's lives when they are in their brokenness. The quicker you'll be to believe that God can do the impossible for that person who has no chance of ever being saved. And yet God, who will not live inside that box, can save that person, can transform that person and cause the blind to see. We have to get outside of this box. And when we get outside of this box, we're probably more likely to start moving into a community that's blind and giving them hope, giving them eyes to see what the Lord is doing. The second thing is this. You're like, Jesse, it's hard to talk about Jesus. There are really hard questions. Yes, there are, but I've got great news for you. You don't have to have all of the answer for the Lord to do his work uh, in your life or in the lives of others. You have to just know where the power is. Bob is like, I don't know how he made my eyes work. Go talk to him. Jesus, he just points them to Jesus over and over again. You don't have to know how Jesus can pull someone out of the ditch that they're in for him to actually pull them out of the ditch that they're in. You can just point them to Jesus and let him do his work. You don't have to be smart to be a follower of Jesus. You don't have to be smart to be obedient to Jesus. All you have to do is tell others what God did in your life. Tell others about what the Lord is doing in your life and let him explain himself, and he will. Uh, I'm a little over on time, so I'll make this last bit quickly. Um, we're beginning, uh, we have a few more weeks of this series. The next series is how to talk about God, okay? Uh, we're going to do some trainings. We're going we're gonna to really break it down super simple, and at the end of the day, just give you the, the tools to be able to have conversations about the Lord. As part of that series, we're going to give a book away to every family who wants a book called Gospel Threads. It's super easy to read. Look how thin this sucker is. You could read this in a lazy afternoon. And what's great about this book, it does two things. Um, one is that it explains the gospel in very simple terms, like all the, all the moving pieces. It explains it in five 
five steps. But at the end of each chapter, this is really what I want you to pay attention to, at the end of each chapter are some conversation starters so that you can have not like weird conversations like, listen, brother, uh, I want to ask you, do you want to go to hell? I'm going to give you three easy steps out. That's not a good way to make friends. Okay, that's how the preacher who came to my porch asked me about Jesus. Like, do you want to go to hell? I'm like, in fifth grade, no, I don't. Uh, but it's not, it's not the best way to have a normal human conversation. But each chapter of this book has some normal human conversations. That if God is the creator of all the universe, then when you talk about the sunset, you give him glory for the masterful paintbrush stroke that he put in the sky. And each little conversation can have these little gospel threads in them. And you're building a history of talking about the goodness of Jesus. And so if you're interested in that book, I'll go ahead and give a free one each to a family. They're right here. Come get them after. And this will be kind of the, the, the thing that we're building a series on later. The second thing is this. Um, you may have noticed in the slides uh, this phrase, bring closer. You may have noticed it in some of our social media stuff, like every now and then there's a post with Bring Closer. We have a website, carpentersaway.com. If you do slash Bring Closer every month, we're going to put some resources. We're going to put some prompts. We're going to put some Bible reading plans. There's a video if you want. You can do some of it. You can do all of it. The goal is this. We want to be the church. If you call Carpenter's Way home, we want to be the church that are helping people bring themselves, bringing people closer to God. There are people out there, they're blind like Bob. They're not going to find their way to God unless we go get them. And we are more like these disciples who just talk about them right in front of them than going to them and saying, come on, let me take you to Jesus. If you're willing to take the challenge to grow in this, to take steps in this, we're going to do what we can to put tools in your hands. This book is one option. Carpentersway.com slash bring closer is another option. And every month, new resources will be added to that. And you can go back and look at it. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm over on time. God bless you. Let me pray for you. Uh, then we will watch the queue together. Heavenly Father, um, we love you. We thank you that you didn't leave us in our blindness. Lord, remind us that we were blind. Remind us of what you saved us from. Remind us of our own brokenness so that we can give you the praise that you deserve. Lord, forgive us when we forget and forgive us when we uh, wield it as a weapon over those who are lost and hurting. Lord, help us to go to those who are blind, who are hurting and lost, and just give them the life raft of Jesus, bringing them back to you. Lord, uh, we ask that you would help us in our weakness, help us to worship you well. We love you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.